Let's pray. Lord, let our cry come before you and give us understanding according to your word. Let our plea come before you. Deliver us according to your word, your promises. Our lips will pour forth praise, for you teach us your statutes. Our tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help us, for we have chosen your precepts. We've trusted in your word. We long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is our delight. Let our souls live and praise you, and let your rules help us. We have gone astray like a lost sheep. Please, as Jesus says, as the Good Shepherd says, seek your servants, for we do not forget your commandments. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I don't know if you uh, have been like kind of keeping score on this, but uh, we've been doing Psalm 119 for a long time now. It is the longest chapter in the Bible, after all. And I talked about how it was split into, a, well, it's an acrostic of sorts. It is kind of alphabetically laid out. That was Z, so to speak. So we have prayed our way entirely through Psalm 119. And uh, um, I don't know, I, what, what did you think of that? You know, using the psalm and just kind of tweaking it to, to open with prayer. Is that something you've experienced elsewhere? Or, not that I think I'm you know, like, you know, creative or anything, but I've experienced it elsewhere. I, have, I like it. I think I've seen song settings that come off very much as a prayer just because of what the psalm is. Yeah. It, it, it's not the same as using it explicitly as a prayer. Yeah. yeah. You know, the psalms are called the prayer book of the Bible. Oh. And I think, that, uh, I think that they are very valuable for us to, to learn how to pray. To learn how to talk to God and uh, I don't know what your upbringing was like when it came to Psalms um, but for me uh, there I mean they were there but it really wasn't a major part of my formation in the faith yeah. right. you no. know we tend to be more New Testament -y, mm -hmm. you know and, and, and that makes sense but there's something that's good and right I mean, stop and consider when Jesus was on the cross and he prayed, you know where those words came from? The Psalms. And the Psalms are quoted all throughout the New Testament. Yeah. It's good for us to be rooted in the Psalms. I like, I like the fact that you can personalize the Psalms. Yeah. You can, and like you did when, with the opening, you, you <clears throat> tweaked it and personalized it. And we, and we can all do that um, you well, know, and make, them, make it personal to me with the words... Mostly from David. Yeah. You know, when, I, when, I, when I was in Crossways, I sat down once and read the book of Psalms. And when I read them that way, they just all ran together. Yeah. They lost their meaning and their purpose. Yeah. And I, I, for me, doing one at a time is the way, the way to do it. Yeah. So, okay, this is going way back. 
Um, but actually, it's all throughout the psalm how often he talks about, I have meditated on your mm-hmm. word. That is a big part of psalms, where you just kind of let it roll around in mm-hmm. your mind. You know, it, it is poetry. And um, don't overlook the fact that Psalm 1 begins with, you know, the, the, this, uh, this life of faith being the person uh, who lives in righteousness because they meditate on God's word. You know, it, it's just kind of there, bouncing around inside their, their mind. And I think the Psalms are a, a beautiful way to do that. And uh, um, I'm going to have to figure out uh, which Psalms to turn to next, uh, but we'll, we'll continue opening uh, with, with prayers from Psalms. It just won't be Psalm 119 anymore for a while anyhow. Um, the second petition to the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come. Um, I, I wanted to touch on this because we're, we've been talking about the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. We've been talking about the, 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 the old man, the, the first man, and the second man. And we're talking Adam representing all of humanity from the beginning in creation, and Jesus representing all of humanity to you know, bear our sin to the cross and, and to be our Savior. And Jesus comes with this incredible message that the kingdom of God has come. And uh, I think it's really important for us to ask, you know, what is the kingdom of God? Because we have all of these political images of what a kingdom is, you know, with, with defined uh, geographical boundaries and, and uh, you know, laws and, and, and all of these things. But what we were taught in catechism class uh, is, is this. How does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. Do you notice anything about like building buildings or um, setting up courts or any of that stuff? The kingdom of God comes when he delivers grace. That's what the kingdom of God is about. Okay? So, and again, we're going to dig back to to catechism class here for a minute. Um, Do you remember talking about three kingdoms when when you talked about the the second article, Thy Kingdom Come, or the second petition? Kingdom Kingdom of Grace. Yeah. Kingdom of power. Yeah. Kingdom of um, glory. Yes. You got all three of them. Well done. A plus. <laughs> the pastor who taught you that must have been a genius. <laughs> um, so when we talk about the kingdom of power, so we've looked theologically at the Bible and you know what are, what are different kingdoms or different realms in which God rules. And so in the kingdom of power, we generally talk about creation. That it's this created order that's part of the world. You know, there's a reason that we can study this world scientifically, that there is, there's an order to it. It, it works. 
you know, so we talk about the laws of physics. Do they talk about laws of chemistry? I don't remember that. Sure. Not so much. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, but there are things that are very predictive based on if you mix different things together, it's going to re react in a certain way. Is that roughly right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You, you, if you do it again, it'll do it again. Yeah. Uh -huh. you know, and, and, and so these are things that are, that are understandable. And you, you go all kinds of different areas of science, and we find that to be roughly true. Um, which is not to say that we understand everything about how the world is or how the universe works and all of those wonderful things. But we can observe and we can see and we can, you know, begin to understand some of these things. And that's part of the, the way that God created things. So if we pray, thy kingdom come, these are things that are already all in process, right? I mean, we would say uh, that he preserves this, but this is not a kingdom that has to come. It's already at play. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I remember when I was a kid and I would pray, Thy kingdom come, I thought about what we would call the kingdom of glory. And that's heaven. It's the last day. And it's, you know, Jesus coming back with, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven and, you know, and every knee bows and all, all, all of that. And do we want that day to come? Yeah, absolutely, we do. We do. But I've come to think more and more that that is not what we are asking for when we pray, thy kingdom come, in the Lord's Prayer. Or at least that's not what Jesus was teaching us to pray for. I think that he was teaching us to pray for the kingdom of grace to come. Yeah. And the kingdom of grace is where the Holy Spirit delivers forgiveness and salvation. It's where the Holy Spirit creates faith. This is, this is the, the, you know, physically, visibly, you know, the church. Because if you're not part of the kingdom of grace, is the kingdom of glory good news? No. No, it's not. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. And so when we're praying the Lord's Prayer and we pray, you know, thy kingdom come, what we're, we're really asking for is for the Holy Spirit to be at work in this world to create faith in people. And part of that will be to empower us to share the faith with other people, to be his witnesses and, and, and all of those things. It's a very evangelistic uh, theme that is, is part of this, this prayer that we pray so regularly. And I think that this is really important when we think about this section in Romans chapter 5, which God willing will finish today. <laughs> I think I've said that four times now. Um, when we think about the old man and the new man, the logic of a world under that original sin and the logic of living in faith in this world. Okay? So... Romans 5, verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So, back to that verse from Mark 1, verse 15. 
the kingdom, the reign of God has come. You know, that word that we translate kingdom so often, it, it's not about geography, it's about action. That God is reigning. The reign of God has come. His grace is coming into the world to bring forgiveness and salvation to people. How do you respond to that? Repent and believe the good news. So here in Romans, 17, Romans 5, verse 17, it talks about how through the, the one man's trespass, that's an interesting typo, um, through the one man's trespass, death reigned. And so we kind of have this image of competing kingdoms. That you have the kingdom under the one man, under the you know, fallenness into sin, and the kingdom under Christ. And the image that's being set up for us are, is that of competing kingdoms, although there is no real competition. Yeah. Um, the kingdom of this world is a usurper sitting on the throne. You know, uh, I mean, Jesus calls this the kingdom of this world, and he, they refer, he refers to the prince of this world mm -hmm. and the prince of the air. You know, he's not saying that there isn't uh, you know, power there, that, that there isn't authority there, but it doesn't compare to what he is, is bringing into this world. Uh, and, and the power and the uh, uh, authority and the glory of God uh, connected to that. I think in terms of literature, one of the most beautiful examples of this is in The Lord of the Rings. In The Lord of the Rings, the whole system that is there you know, that as they deal with evil, it's all about somebody usurping the creator's power. And it's all about twisting the creation. And so you have people who are, are, are living to the good, and then there are people who are evil. And the way that Tolkien wrote it, there's very little that's in between. It's either one or, or the other. Did, did you know that Tolkien was a very devout Catholic? I knew he was a devout something. Very devout Catholic. <laughs> Christian. But. Yeah, he's a Christian. And, um, and he very much wove Christianity all through the book. Not like C.S. Lewis did with the Narnia. I mean, when you read Narnia, it's like Lewis is like, you know, slapping you upside the yeah. head with, with <laughs> biblical images. Yeah. yeah. You know, so Tolkien is much more subtle in the way that he does it. Um, but... Uh, uh, he he's definitely presenting this picture uh, of two kingdoms. And you're dealing with a rightful king and a usurper. And so the reign and the kingdom of this world, I, I ended the last session uh, when we were together talking about some gods from the Old Testament that give us some, I think, important images uh, of... Uh, uh, what the kingdom of this world looks like. And I start with Molech, talking about the reign of power and cruelty. You know, and we can see this at work in the world, in, in corrupt governments, in, in the way that uh, uh, people take care of each other, or take advantage of each other, and you, know, you have some people who are trodden upon and other people, they seem to do great and all of these kinds of things. You know, 
we're not the first generation to, to kind of recognize that people who do bad things seem to succeed. In the book of Psalms, there are a lot of complaints about that. Why do the wicked prosper, Lord? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's, that's kind of the, the picture here, that through cruelty and power, there are people who get ahead in this world. Mammon is the next one. Technically, Jesus is the one that puts the name on this one. Um, but mammon is the reign of wealth and possessions. You know, I remember when I was a kid, the, uh, the old commercial, what would you do for a Klondike bar? <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, the idea is you're going to do something to get something good. Having some wealth and some security can be a really good thing in this world, right? Mm-hmm. It can be. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, a great comedy group, if you recall, the, the Congress of Wonders. Okay. And they had a whole, a whole bit, little of which I can remember, that somewhere around the time when the Mormons were, were heading to Salt Lake City, that this is a meeting of an Indian tribe with a sect of mammon who were oh. heading to found Las Vegas. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Yeah, not that all of Las Vegas is like that, but you know, no, no, that was there. Oh, they were they, their leader was named Getem Young. It was named what? Getem Young. Getem Young. Oh my! <laughs> but Las Vegas is a very, uh, very good picture of um, the uh, the worship of Mammon. This might sound controversial. I'm not completely convinced that gambling is a sin. The Bible doesn't come out that boldly on, on the point. Um, that being said, boy, there are some temptations there. There are some detrimental things that happen there. So, mm-hmm. you know, for, for, for my money... Um, <laughs> I, I kind of suspect that, like, if you were to set a budget and say, I'm willing to win, to lose 20 bucks or whatever, yeah. and I'm going to do this, you know, and when the 20 bucks is gone, you know, I'm done. I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. You know, that's, I, we paid 100, you know, the, the tickets to the show that I mentioned in the sermon were 100 bucks. It was entertainment. We enjoyed it, right? You know, and... I've never enjoyed losing money myself, um, but uh, if that's what you get a kick out of, okay. But I think that some things need to be recognized in terms of the temptation and the pull on one's heart that can happen because of mammon. You know, and, and, and to be careful for that. We are very much attached to the things of this world, and um, wealth and temptation, wealth and possessions are a temptation. Um, as well as a gift. When we start putting our hope uh, and our desires so focused on wealth and possessions, that can absolutely cut out our faith and hope and trust in God. And uh, I, I, I think that as, uh, uh, as an American Western Christian, this is something that I think it's something that I struggle with, and I think that this is a big issue for the church. You know, how we deal with our wealth. Um, and I'm not, 
I'm, I'm not at all calling for, you know, kind of going back to, you know, the, the very stark kind of Puritan uh, where you only own the very basics and, you know, or like the Amish, you know. But it seems to me that there should be something in between um, the, uh, the overabundance, especially when we start comparing it to the needs of others around us. So, um, so cruel power, wealth and possessions, Baal and Asherah. Baal and Asherah are all across the Old Testament. Um, you remember when uh, Elijah had the, uh, the, the, the big confrontation with the prophets and, and they called down fire on the, on the sacrifice? Does this sound familiar? It's okay to say no. I'll tell you the whole story. Yeah. Um, you know, so basically, um, the the people that that Elijah were uh, were competing against uh, were the prophets of Baal. Baal was a Middle Eastern Mesopotamian fertility god. Oh. Now. There's very little creativity among the gods, just so you know. Um, so Baal very much corresponds to all of America's favorite pagan god, Thor. He was the god of the storm, the god of rain, god of thunder. Uh-huh. You know, it, which you know there are there are images of power and war that are involved there, but rain is necessary for the crops to grow and and, and all of these t- things. Well, uh, Baal has a consort called Asherah. And the, uh, the image for Asherah was a big pole. Pole? Yeah, like a phallus. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 it's, it's not what you expect to talk about when you come to church. <laughs> and, and, and so, when Baal and Asherah come together, it brings the good rains and it causes the crops to grow and, and all of these things. And so, a major part of the worship of Baal and Asherah were actually, um, they took place at what the Bible calls the high places. So on top of hills, and the idea was, you, you get a bunch of people up there and have a bit of an orgy, and it gives Baal and Asherah the idea, that looks like fun, we should do that too. <laughs> and that causes the crops to grow. This was a huge temptation across uh, the Old Testament for people. This, this more than anything else, is what led the Israelites away from the one true God into worshiping the gods of the Canaanites. Just speaking of, you know, kind of humanity in general, you know, what kind of draw does sex have? It's huge. Uh And, and, And so I think that this is something for us to recognize even today that people worship sexual desire. Uh-huh. Now, did I just say that sexual desire is bad? No. Uh-huh. 
I'm actually kind of glad my dad had some for my mom. Mm-hmm. Not to be crass or anything, but you know, they're, they're, this, this is how we came into being. If we had to rely on, it's our Christian duty to do this, there would not be that many kids around <laughs> if we did not have the desire to push us. Um, you know? I don't know. God says in the beginning, be fruitful and multiply. Yes, so maybe, maybe the fr- Christian desire is actually to have kids. Yeah, but I would say that a lot of times that in the heat of things, that's not what's always on one's mind. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't <laughs> say that, yeah, that at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying that the desire you know, fulfills a need. Absolutely. And it's a need that we were designed with. Yeah. You know, and this is something that our, our world has this really bizarre relationship with, with human sexuality. On the one hand, you know, it's so in the face. Uh-huh. And on the other hand, it's so taboo. You know, yeah. and, and it, it, we're rather uh, odd on, on this issue. You know, um, but we're, we're, you know, we're definitely more than our sexual organs. But to recognize that God created us male and female and that this is good, that's a good thing. You know, and uh, um, you know, so we, we see these as, as major temptations, as things that people worship. Uh, it says reign of sexual desire, but it wasn't the desire that they were after. It was the act. And if they weren't getting crops, they would go to the temples and they would have orgies all over the place because yep. they had to actually do it for it to count with the gods. And even in the New Testament, you have a problem with that. Oh, temple prostitution is yeah. a, a very normal part of pagan worship. Because mm-hmm. uh-huh. if they get together and they have, then it's supposed to give God the idea of making the crops grow. Yeah. And there he are, can't the, figure it out by himself, you know. Yeah. And, and there are other, uh, other elements of that, too. Um, but these are temptations that we continue to face in this world and things that people um, desire more than their relationship with God, that they you know, put their hope in you know, more than they you know, uh, do for God. And, and that's all part of this reign of the world. And the thing that I find interesting in, in all of these and pretty much every, every other religion is that there's some kind of sacrifice that you need to do. You know, so for Molech, it was, um, we'll take your child, please. Thank you very much. Just drop him on the hands. Let him burn to death. Um, for Mammon, um, do, do people ever sacrifice their families for, for Mammon? Absolutely. And all kinds of other things. In, in, in terms of you know, sexuality or just you know, take it out to the whole pleasures of life. You know, alcohol and addiction and all of these other things. Do people ever destroy themselves or their families through seeking after these things? Yeah. Absolutely. I, and, I, I think it's important in going over mammon 
it's not necessarily a question of hurting one's own family. That no, no. happen, particularly with gambling. Yeah. But it's also a question of enriching one's own family at the expense of everyone else's. Yeah, that's another element of it too, and thank you yeah. for bringing that up. You know, if we're taking advantage of other people, you know, then we're hurting somebody uh -huh. in order to enrich ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in all of them, somebody or something is sacrificed. You know, we often think about, you know, the, the animal sacrifices of, of the Old Testament and, you know, and, and other religions. But there are other sacrifices that we make to the gods. And when we worship false gods, it always brings death. Because that's the old Adam. That's the old man. And that's the system that he brings into the world. Now, the, the reign in, in the kingdom of Christ, as opposed to the, the, the kingdom of Molech, which is about cruelty and power, he comes as God to rule with mercy and humility. He empties himself of, of his glory and his power and his majesty to become one of us. He leaves heaven to come to earth. As opposed to mammon, you know, where we gather in for ourselves, in the kingdom of Christ, Jesus comes and he gives grace and generosity that's rooted in love. And he's focused outward in, in, in the care and concern for others to bring life and salvation to them. In, in opposed to... Um, the, the kingdom of, of uh, uh, Baal and Asherah, he comes with a, a, a sense of contentment and peace as a creature. Not that I have to get God to do for me, but I know that God has done. And that I can rely on him to make the crops grow at the right time. And I, I can rely on him to help me to have the things that I need in, in the proper season. And in this system, instead of having to make a sacrifice, God is the sacrifice, and the sacrifice is made on our behalf. So when I talk about, you know, there's a different logic. That, that's what I mean. It, you know, in the one, you have to do, do, do. And here it says it's done for you. Uh, in, in fact, in the gospel lesson today, uh, the people, they come, they find Jesus. The people who had eaten um, in the feeding of the 5,000, they find Jesus. He says, you're not looking for me because of the signs. Or you're not looking for me because of what I taught you. You're looking for me because I filled your belly. Don't live for earthly things. Don't live for food that, that you know, is going to spoil. Look for this eternal bread. The things that, that, that are, are the ultimate gift that God gives. And uh, what's their first question? What must we do? And, and then you know, Jesus tells them, you know, you know, believe in the one that you sent. Well, what do you do to show that you're the one that we should trust in? It, it's all about performance. And Jesus is there saying, uh, I'm, I'm here to do for you so that it's done. 
there are still people now who have problems with that because if Jesus is providing everything, why are those people starving? Yes. If you were really God and your prayers really meant anything, there would be nobody starving and there would not be little children dying. Things would be good all over all the time. And that's a hard thing to try to explain to somebody, especially the people who don't want to understand. Well, it, it's difficult because we live in, in a world um, in the kingdom of the prince of this air. Mm-hmm. And the kingdom of God has come in, but God is allowing this you know, corruption to take place. So consider for a second, famine. What's the number one cause of famine across history? Drought. No? Lack of food. Lack of food, yeah. Well, what caused the lack of food? Lack of rain. No. Climate. No. People. War. War is the number one cause of famine in the world. And yet, and yeah, exactly. And yet, you know, why would God allow? You know, you know, they, they did, the crops didn't grow. It's because we did evil things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's blame God for what we've done. I guess the, the question that always comes to my mind is, you know, I, I try not to ask God these sort of questions, but if he's going, deciding to let evil continue, to let, say, you know, God is omnipotent, but Satan has power too, but God has more, and he could just, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and there's, there's a, a question. I try not to get moralistic about God, but well, why does he do this? And I don't know, maybe Captain Kirk has the answer. So, <laughs> hold on. Go ahead. Because I think I have a decent answer okay. for you, anyhow. If God were to wipe away all the evil in the world, where would you and I be? Well, <laughs> and so his choice is to redeem. Right. I don't quite get the you know I'm sort of like well yeah but he could cleanse us and 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 wipe away our evil along with everything else. If you're wiping away evil, yeah, we're born dead in trespasses and sins. You see, we we have that we we, we got to go back. What we've inherited from Adam and Eve is not that we are naturally good or that we're born good. We are born evil. We're born separated from God. So if God is going to wipe out evil, he is going to wipe out us. And he did kind of do a reset factory specifications with Noah. Yeah. Okay, these guys are faithful. They get on the boat. Yeah, well, the next thing... Over. We're going to start over. Well, yeah, we're going we're to start, start over, and the next thing we read, Noah planted a vineyard, made some wine, and is passed out drunk naked. So, so the idea of restarting with, with, with people that are faithful so, did that. We, we continue to bear the image of our parents, and it's not just kind of a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. So that's a limit on God's power. God limits his own power. Yeah. Yeah. And Out of his mercy. And he's being patient. 
waiting for people to come to him. Well, he's not just sitting back and waiting, though, no. either. He's at work in the world. Right. But waiting as opposed to wiping them all out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. All right. I think I said something about finishing five. We'll see. <laughs> Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Uh, for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where, excuse me, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what Paul is doing here is he is summing up everything that he has said before. Repetition is the mother of learning. Basically, he's driving home his point. Now, verses 20 and 21, I, I want to make a little bit of a comparison because I, I retranslated this, and I, I, I think it's a little bit, I think there's some nuance here that's important. So my translation of 20 and 21 says, the law came in so that the trespass might be caused to increase or so that the, the trespass might be caused to be made more intense. Um, and wherever the sin increased, the grace increased even more. So that just as the sin reigned in death, in the same way also, the grace might reign in eternal life through righteousness because of Jesus Christ our Lord. So the law came to increase or to enlarge the trespass. God, it, this, what this is actually saying is that God gave the law in order to make the matters worse. Why? God's intervening to drive people back to himself, to, to make a dissatisfaction with the brokenness of their lives in this world. Um, Greg Finke uh, likes this little phrase. Uh, Greg Finke's a Lutheran pastor um, who kind of formative for me in terms of how I think about evangelism. But he, he likes to ask this question when he's talking with people. How's God messing with you? And, and when, you're, when we're talking with Christians, you know, we kind of get that, you know, that, you know, sometimes he's <laughs> making us feel guilty about things. Sometimes, you know, he's teaching us something new in our, our lives, leading us into repentance. Because once he, you know, is messing with us, that gives us the opportunity to hear your sins are forgiven, including that one. That's a good thing. Um, and, and so what God does is he uses the law to condemn, but he's also using it to open the door for the gospel. So, I mean, so often people will get into like deep conversations where you have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with someone when there is some kind of pain or sorrow or brokenness in their lives. You know, I really messed up. Got a big fight with my wife, blah, blah, blah. And that becomes an opportunity to share love and hope and the opportunity for forgiveness with people. And, and there's all kinds of different ways that, that this happens. It's not accidental. Okay. How does that work? It seems to me it, it happens most often when you think you've really got it together. Yeah. <laughs> there's a reminder that you don't. Right. <laughs> And, and so for us who are really tend to be pretty secure, you know, because we're really rather well off, 
you know, and so when something happens that, that shakes that, it reminds us. Um, there's something else to believe in here other than, you know, your bank account or your life or health insurance or whatever else. There's, there's more. You know, the, this is not in your control as you would like to think that it is. Question. Yeah. Um, how can grace increase? I mean, either, you know, grace is grace. Sure. So, let's walk through the worship service for a second. <laughs> we start with confession and absolution, right? So, among the very first words that I say to anybody in the whole worship service is, your sins are forgiven. But we're working our way to a high point in the service, which is the Lord's Supper which is given to us for the forgiveness of sins. But didn't I speak forgive? Didn't I give you forgiveness at the beginning? So how much forgiveness and how much grace do you need? Well, once again, you know, forgiveness is forgiveness. You say, I forgive, that's it. Yeah. You, you don't say later... I forgive you more. It's kind of like... Un unless there's a transgression in between. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's kind of like God pouring a pitcher into your cup and it just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. And what he's doing is he's making you aware of it. And so when it says, you know, the sin abounded, okay, so that's performative, okay. But the grace abounded is what he's doing in regard to that, which is just pouring more grace, more forgiveness, making you more aware of his uh, love and his forgiveness for you, for Jesus' sake. You know, and, and he just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. That's how it abounds. You know, and making us alert to that. And helping us to recognize that thing I did yeah. is forgiven. I, I kind of view God as, as assuming a position <coughs> of forgiveness and grace. Yep. And he did, that's it. He's, he's taken that position so he doesn't, he doesn't have to keep, keep doing it. He has taken that position, but do you always know that? <coughs> Have you ever done something you wondered, oh boy? <laughs> uh, no, I probably don't always know it. But and, and that's kind of what's going I, on if here. If I stop long enough and think about it. Or are you always aware of it? Yeah. You know, because sometimes we just kind of go through world, the world yeah. oblivious. Right. To this, this grace and this mercy that, that he gives to us. Um, so, uh, grace abounded all the more. I want you to notice that back in verse 15, it, it talks about that the, uh, the gift of grace was more than enough, that it was abundant. And here, he's coming back to the idea that the gift of grace is way more than enough. L literally, it's like hyper abundant. It's a really strange word. And, um, so, 
if in verse 15 the idea was that it was strong, uh, this is very much greater and stronger. They put hyper on the same word you know, to kind of boost the, uh, the authority of it. Um, and then sin reigned in death. So that's the old order of the penultimate world. But God's new order is that grace would reign into eternal life. And this happens through righteousness. Remember Romans 3, 21, that there is a righteousness that comes from outside. It's not something that, that we did, but it comes because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, that word Lord also can be translated master. He's the one with the power. He's the one who's doing this. And this is why it's so essential that we call sin, sin. And not try to ju- you know, self-justify. You know, not try to um, you know, sweep it away. Um, to recognize sin is not, to not recognize sin is to not recognize the cause of death. And that is what we would call spiritual malpractice. You know, if somebody came in with a, you know, the doctor knew they had cancer, but they said, oh, it's just a headache, take some aspirin, that guy or gal needs to be fired and maybe prosecuted. Same thing. You know, if we, you know, don't recognize sin to be the cause of death, you know, there, there's a spiritual malpractice that's going on there. So along with that, to not acknowledge God's grace then is to reject the free gift. So in essence, grace becomes unnecessary and Christ died for nothing. And so, when you talk about sin, um, sometimes people get the idea that it's this particular sin. Yeah, no, 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 that's not the image at all that the Bible gives. I know, but a lot of times we don't see what the actual yep. image is. And it's not a sin, it's sin. Yep. So no matter how good we are, the sin is still there. So you are, you are not a sinner because you sin, you sin because you are a right. sinner. And so the gift is freely given, and that's a cause of joy, because eternal life is yours because of Jesus. Chapter 5, done. <laughs> um, we're going to get into chapter 6, and we're going to spend some time talking about baptism. So I'm kind of excited about chapter 6. It's one of my favorite parts of, uh, favorite parts of the Bible. So, All right, let's pray and go to church. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for... Uh, book of Romans for your servant Paul and we pray Lord that you would uh, bless us as we continue to study this word and that you would help us to live in the grace that you pour out on us more richly and abundantly than we can even imagine. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.